97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Welcome back to another week of Part of the Disruption. It's my favorite time of the week. I got the room shakers in the building with me. We're ready to discuss everything real estate and get into some arguments. That's my favorite part. I like when they argue. So let's go ahead and give a roll call really quickly, starting virtual left to right with uh, Steve Trang. Boss man, how you doing today? Doing great. So Steve Trang, serial entrepreneur, now serial podcaster, uh, sales trainer. Basically, if, if you need it, we can help you find a way. If we don't, if we can't help you, we know who can. So, uh, here for anything you need. There we go. There we go. All right, uh, Leon Barnes. Don't forget the G. I almost did. Don't. Thank you, bro. <laughs> don't forget the G. Leon G. Barnes with the, the genius, and uh, you got a lot of cereals going in there, Steve. I just like cereal. How about that? Can we just go with that for this week? <laughs> All right. We also got Eric Brewer in the building. What's going on, everybody? I'm a real estate investor in Pennsylvania, uh, soon to be Florida resident. Um, I actually also do like cereal, specifically Captain Crunch. And if no one has taught you <laughs> the, the peanut butter first, and by the time you get to the berries, you've created strawberry milk. And the combination of that is remarkable. I would suggest you try it. I think we have our first viral clip just in that right there, there you go <laughs> and pulling up with the buzzer beater cj how you doing man yeah man i'm good man it's good to be back shout out to airbro with the keto tips uh steve it's good to see you uh leon it's great to see you as well all right i'm happy to be back i missed last week uh chris jefferson richmond va uh, charged up university. I do all things real estate, man. I'm ready to get into it today. All welcome right. back. Welcome Steve, back. Didn't we have like the highest ratings ever last week <laughs> in the absence? <laughs> of, of <laughs> of Chris Everton, it, was, it was definitely the it was definitely yeah. the best episode we've ever had. Broke um, the I internet. And I don't want to I don't want to start off with a disagreement, but there's no T in Captain Crunch. Just want to put that out there as well. <laughs> no what? There's no T. Captain Crunch. Oh, okay. Captain. I'm a serial white. entrepreneur. Like, I'm an entrepreneur you in are, serial as well. That is the whitest version of Captain <laughs> I've ever heard. My man said there's no tea in Captain. No tea in Captain. Anyway, I just wanted to correct. I don't want the audience Eric, to be confused. Eric, I was with you. I was with you, Eric. I was, I was I right there. I don't want the audience buying the wrong cereal. It's, yeah. I, I, I think we're safe. Yeah, we, we definitely uh, we should've don't want that Should have left it at the ratings were great last week. <laughs> Although I'm just... pretty sure I'm pretty sure he got three votes last week. I don't know how that's possible, but he got votes last week. He wasn't even here. Well, now that we've clarified the uh, correct pronunciation and spelling of Captain Crunch, my apologies no. for the T, Steve. Uh, it, it is great to have you back, CJ. Welcome back. Welcome back. We missed you last week. Uh, everyone, there is a new... Re uh, I'm sorry, not Real Estate Disruptors. That is the channel we're on right now. There is a new part in the Disruption channel that you can find all of the clips and highlights from the show uh, this week and all the past episodes. Uh, that show or that channel will be in the comment section shortly. Go ahead and feel free to uh, follow that, like, and subscribe to those videos as well. Uh, and gentlemen, I think we're ready for question number one. You guys ready? Yo, let's do it. Let's do it. it. All right. Let's start off with uh, CJ. Welcome back. Is wholesaling okay. dead right now? Uh, look, wholesaling is not dead whatsoever. Like if you've been trying to, you know, utilize the same old exit strategy of what people think wholesaling is of, 
oh, I'll get a deal and send it over to a cash buyer, then maybe you might have that comment, but it's 110% not dead. Like you have to kind of understand what exit strategies you have available. Can you create notes? Can you create wholesale opportunities? Can you create retail buyer opportunities that is super, super hot even still right now? So no, wholesaling is not dead. You have to adjust your uh, your, your your strategy to the business. Don't be one of these people that they talk about that exited real estate when the market went down. This is the time to ride in with the cape and the charged up hat and get rich, man. So no, wholesaling is absolutely not dead. Right, all right. Let's go over to uh, Leon G. Barnes. Absolutely not dead, uh, but some wholesalers that were order takers the last three years, their business may be dead. As a strategy, wholesaling, no, it is not dead. I know plenty of people within our organization and outside of our organization that are doing it as an extra strategy today, every day, and a hundred times a month. So absolutely, it is not a strategy that is dead. If you are a good good at negotiations, you're good at sales, then this is a strategy that it should you should be able to use right now still. Okay. Uh, Eric Brewer, let's hop over to you. I think that here's the big problem. What people defined as wholesaling the last two years was not. Wholesaling indicates that you've been able to buy the property at a discount and sell it at a discount. Properties were being purchased at a near premium and sold at a premium. So it was a wholesale style transaction because it was cash, right? And it was an investor involved in there or a facilitator, probably more so than an investor. Now a deal needs to be a deal, right? Much like it needed to be in 2014, 15, 16, and 17. Um, so no, it, it never died. Um, it's not dying, but it, it got a little... I think uh, cloudy these last two years. It, it wasn't really wholesaling, but it got labeled as such. Okay. So real wholesaling is back. You got to be able to. You got to be able to get a deal. Okay. I like that. Oh, great answer, uh, Steve. Let's go ahead and uh, finish up with you. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like what these guys have said. I think wholesaling, as we understood it for the last couple of years, is mostly gone. But you know, uh, I've been in this business since 2007, and wholesaling has just always had a different way uh, of moving moving properties, right? So or even sourcing properties. Like back in 2009, you had to source at auctions, right? So wholesaling as a business model is still alive and well, but the way you do it, the, the way you acquire the property, the way you exit the property is always evolving. So right now, our end buyers, as far as a wholesale deal is gone. So we're either closing more deals or we're innovating and doing the brewer method. So you just gotta look at consistently evolving your process to match the market as it stands today, that those that can't evolve are the, are the ones that are going to be in a lot of trouble. All right. The voting has opened in the chat. And, gentlemen, the floor is open as well. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with a quick thought. Today. Like, Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to jump in with a real quick thought. Like, if you're one of these people that you found out about wholesale in the last three to four years, and you could just, like Eric said, you just got something under contract and you just sold it off to a cash buyer, if that's been your game, if that's what you know, you're going to be jammed up right now. You're not going to really know, you know, up from down, but you just have to turn the page. This is just pivoting within the business. That doesn't mean the strategy is gone. It just means the way in which you approach it needs adjustment. I like retail buyers a lot right now. Shout out to Eric, even with the innovation method. I mean, getting stuff in the hands of retail buyers that are always going to be buying that's wholesaling, man. Wholesaling is just simply like Eric said, getting something under contract at a discount and moving it at a discount. It doesn't have to be to a cash buyer all the time. Yeah, uh, Stephanie Betters was on the show a couple weeks ago, and she, you know, she brought up a great book, right? For everyone that's kind of like struggling right now, "Who Moved My Cheese," which sounds like a silly title, but that is exactly what's happening right now. You got to evolve with the with the way the the you know the the business changes. Let's Dude, write a Chris new is... book for for wholesaling in the new market called "Who Moved My G's." Like where 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 did where did my racks go? I like right? that. Uh, like I'll give you an example of the ability, and we talk about this a lot in the in the, the the groups of people that I communicate with that 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 are inside of Collective Genius or folks that I'm talking to on a regular basis about the market and our business and making sure we're doing whatever we can to help each other continue to grow. And I've been very uh, irresponsible about seller finance and and sub two and all that stuff for the last several years because I, I didn't have to move in the direction of, of that innovation. And I literally, we just bought a house 
uh, like 30 minutes ago from a, a house that we offered 190 on. The guy was stuck at 260. We offered him 280, and he financed it for 30 years at zero percent, and the payment was like 800 bucks a month, and it rents for almost three grand. Like I just wasn't even looking at that deal before. So is that the conventional means of wholesale? No, I paid retail for the house. I got the financing at wholesale. So I was able to create cash flow and really will be able to create equity in, in a very short period of time. But I, I had to innovate. We had to pivot. So, and I think to, to what Chris had said and, and certainly Steve's suggestion of who moved my cheese, you need to... You, your cheese has been moved. You gotta, you gotta relocate. Yeah, I think uh, the way I, I, I love uh, Leon Barnes, uh, not, uh, Leon Johnson. The way he put it was uh, retail value at wholesale terms. Right? Exactly. You can go ahead and give me that credit, Steve. I'll right, Leon Barnes. <laughs> Leon Barnes says retail value wholesale so, terms. That's okay. a good line, man. What you heard multiple times uh, on this wrap up is, are the words pivot evolve if you're in this business and you're not ever evolving and changing with the times when i first got in this business half of the inventory that we purchased to flip was from the mls and that dried up in a few short years and we had to evolve and pivot and get direct to seller and different channels and those type of things so the question was is wholesaling dead and the word dead is usually comes from something not evolving and being and being flexible in this industry so to, to me that those words that you gave you guys gave of evolution and pivoting are crucial uh, during these times because let's face it a lot of people that to, to what cj was talking about earlier the people that have just gotten in business for the last three years they've just lived in a land of milk and honey they've never <laughs> seen a down market ever they've seen nothing but rising uh prices and they haven't had to purchase a deal it's time to evolve Milk, honey, and cereal. That'd be like saying when Blockbuster went out of that'd be like saying when Blockbuster went out of business that the movie business was dead. It, it, it right. wasn't. Right. People were consuming more movies and, and 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 things, you know, like that today than they ever were. So um it's definitely not dead. I think we all agree on that, but it looks a little bit different than it did six months ago. Quick, quick update though, Eric. You do call me Cliff Clavin for a reason. There is one blockbuster still uh, alive to this day so even blockbuster is not dead my friend. there's one blockbuster still in the united states it's a tourist attraction people fly around uh fly there just to see that blockbuster i believe it's in alaska i love to go well, that visit, makes but sense. i think i still owe them some money so i'm gonna yeah. avoid that <laughs> i don't need that hitting my credit anytime soon i think it's been passed um, great first round welcome back it's a great first round uh my vote i'm not gonna lie my vote went to brewer he's out here freestyling he's dropping bars he's making he's making these valid points there's what a little titles? bit of a different energy with you man you're on the bike you're going to wu-tang concerts i like your energy right now bro um chris jefferson <laughs> takes the w for round one that's how you come back on the program. Counting those votes. I'm back in town, man. I'm back in town. Man. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right, guys. Uh, question number two. Do you think houses will be available at massive discounts like Blackstone, who is prepping $50 billion to buy houses during a downturn? Uh, let's go ahead with CJ first. Yeah, I like this question a lot, right? Like, what does Blackstone know that I know that Eric Brewer, Leon G. Barnes, and Steve Trang knows? Now's the time of milk and honey for real. Like now's the time to really get active, really get in here, really get into the business. Now, when we say massive discount, I don't know how you want to quantify what a massive discount is. I don't know that there will be massive discounts with so much institutional buyers in the market right now. Prior to 2008, single family houses weren't considered a security. So we didn't have this effect that we have now on the market where institutional hedge funds, buyers are just heavily into the market like Blackstone. So I think there's going to be a discount that there's to be, you know, taken advantage of. I don't think it's going to be a massive discount, so to speak, unless some of these institutions pull out of the market. But yes, there will be a discount. Yes, there will be plenty of money to be made. Pay attention to the big dogs like Blackstone and what they're doing. All right. Uh, second place last round was Steve Tranks. Let's go over to you. There's not going to be $50 billion worth of discounts, right? I think things will be on sale long term on their business model, which is to buy properties and then get cash flow. They're like a real estate investment trust where they buy commercial buildings, right? And they just make the money off of cash flow. So for them, it'll be on sale. And for me, it's, it's a relief because we know there's a bottom. There's going to be a bottom on, on real estate values because they'll buy it. 
Uh, but I don't think there's going to be $50 billion worth of discount. Like for us, we, we can buy two deals a month at a really good deal and we're going to be really happy living really good. They can't buy $50 billion worth of good deals. That just can't exist mathematically. All right. Let's go over to uh, Eric Brewer. I think it's uh, Chris had mentioned um, it's all, it's all how you quantify a discount, right? Uh, you could have bought at the peak of 2006. And if you held it until <clears throat> 2022, you would go, dang, I got a discount, but everybody was making fun mm -hmm. of you in 2008 for paying what you paid in 2006. So I don't think there's going to be this massive sale where property is available in large volume at a reduced price from its value today. But I think there will be um, the ability to buy large amounts of homes because of the, the cooling retail environment, right? The reduced um, non-institutional buyers, a lot of, let's say, the, the, the newer wholesalers that, that, that will not be able to pivot and survive. And you'll be able to buy stuff today that when you look back 10 years from now will be a great deal. All right, and let's wrap up with uh, Leon G. Barnes. Like Chris said in that in that question, massive discounts is has changed. Like in 2008, when the crash happened, there were a lot more massive discounts available because the commoditization of of assets that are houses today, the the amount of money that's spent um, by corporate America on on assets that wasn't the same in 2009. So I think that the, the answer for me on this particular question is all about what you should be doing um, rather than you know what's coming your way, right? I'll credit Marcus Krigler, who's a CPA and a CFO only for real estate investors that's in the CG community. He always talks about the top 10 things that the best real estate investors in the United States do. There's top, there's top 10 things that he lists. The biggest one is every single one of them has a, at least a million dollars liquid cash to take advantage of any opportunities that come your way. So rather than waiting for them to come, just keep stacking those racks like Eric talked about earlier. All right. The voting is now open for the chat and the floor is open as well. Eric, I was the last one to get the word. You can't buzz me. You don't have to I mean, how me. do you get one buzzer and talk for 78 <laughs> seconds? You got a, Please, you you got got a timer like, there? I got three buzzers at the same time. Like, let's, let's. I, I'm taking it easy on the buzzing for you, bro. I, I, I definitely was coached. Not for me. Hey. I got two. I was five seconds over and got double buzz. This guy talked till three o'clock and he only got one. <laughs> That's because the point was valid. If your point's not valid, you get you buzzed. Get a buzz. I think it's because he fell asleep listening to your response. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a buzzer. It was an alarm I think, I, I, think, uh, I think everybody's got to get out of recession to now. I don't know how much clearer it has to be that we're in a recession. I think everybody, I think 2008 was so significant, so so impactful that people have this perspective that it has to look like that. Right. We are we are in a recession today. That's that's not questionable. We're redefining and, so, and reimagining, Chris. Come on. Get with the program. Fair enough. Fair enough. But they got to get out of denial. We are in a recession. You got to be sharpening your skill set. I saw a Fortune magazine article just the other day. Goldman Sachs put out a paper on what they see as the market. There's a lot of economists, different people that have perspectives out right now on the market. We're not going to, I don't think, see drastic, massive price drop off. But I do think we're going to see really great opportunity. New home starts are down. Inventory is up. Days on market is up. So just pay attention to where we're at and take it serious and make the live adjustment, have that pivot foot, and stop being so committed to things that wore the way that they wore the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, right, you got to remember, like, Blackstone coming in and BlackRock's been here and all these different hedge fund names, right? They've been buying properties mm -hmm. for long-term yield. And Blackstone's coming in when they're buying it is going to be – for long-term yield, right? That's what they did. Actually, Blackstone's the one that got us out of the last mess, right? Like they're 100%. the ones that were coming in, buying off the MLS, buying at auction, right? And they're the ones that set that floor that caused this upward trajectory in pricing. But with all that being said, there won't be $50 billion worth of discounts, but there'll be more than enough discounts for every single person here and watching the show. There's plenty of opportunity. So like, go look and go get what's yours. All right. All right.
first two rounds are, are starting off really, really well this week. I like the energy, fellas. Uh, the voting is still open for the chat, although it looks like we have a landslide in progress. But we'll give it a couple seconds and let it even out. Uh, just a reminder to follow the official Part in the Disruption Clips channel. All of these clips uh, will be available on there, so you can rewatch them again for yourself, share them with your teams. Um, and, yeah, they will be commenting in the chat as well. There they are. Hey, Weasel, real quick, in yes, the sir. spirit of Leon G. Barnes, I'm just back, you know, fresh. You see the tan, man. I'm fresh off Mexico and COVID. All right, but in the spirit of Leon G. Barnes, I'm going to just drop a fact. Wikipedia just recently changed the definition of recession. And maybe it was Eric Brewer that made the change on Wikipedia. I was just going to say, open, open source. <laughs> they've, changed, they've changed the definition of recession literally because people are in recession denial. Like we we are where we are. It's time to adjust, man. One hundred percent. Are people really in recession denial? I think just the media. One hundred. I think no, just the media 100%. is in recession denial. If you if you just got into the business within the last 24, 36 months, and like Eric said, you could get a property under contract at a premium and then sell it to somebody else at a higher premium, and your perspective right now is so warped in that. There's a lot of people that I'm talking to, man, that don't think that things are shifting. When the Steve, you're a data guy. The data shows us that things are. Yeah, changing. I'm wondering. This is a function of ge geography because there's nobody in denial over here in Arizona. Well, you're in Arizona, man. So it's a when it gets heavy in Arizona fast, it it, it comes in quick. So I, you guys are feeling it probably a lot more than everybody else right now. Yeah, across the country, but the but the 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 broom is coming in to kind of sweep the floors, man. Yeah, there are a lot of layoffs going around in our in our neck of the woods. So uh, no one's in denial over here in Arizona. You also, your market was hit the hardest of any that we've talked to within our community. You guys had 25 or 30 percent changes overnight in your marketplace. And so there are people that are probably in denial just because it hasn't hit them in the Midwest, Southeast at this point. We lead in volatility. So you guys can just pay attention to us and then you guys will get the rest. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> All right, the voting is closed. Uh, CJ takes round two also, 56% of the votes. So it's charged up in the voting section right now. Welcome back. Man, I actually miss RJ. <laughs> uh, you know what? I miss RJ too, but he never likes to share any of his uh, any of his prizes hey, with me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm right here. So if, if RJ is here, that means I'm not here. So no, I can't remember I'm we, right here. We had here. RJ instead of CJ. Right. CJ is just getting all the I, I don't know what's going on. He's got all the VA votes. Just, from, from just dropping bars, man. Just came back dropping bars. Man. There we go. There we go. All right. Question number three. Let's keep it going. Uh, when do you think interest rates will go down again? Chris Jefferson, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, I think this is just a fascinating question, right? Like, what does that really mean? You know, I think when people ask that, I think they have this concept of historically low interest rates being two, three, three and a half, four percent. Are we going to go back to that? I personally don't think that's going to happen. I think those days have flown by. I think if you're sitting waiting to buy a house or make a move in your business, whatever, anticipating rates going back to that, I think you lost your mind. I think that rates may trickle down again in the future and stabilize around 5 6%, something to that effect. But I think this might be our new normal, just like COVID is our new normal and our way of living, the way we're having to protect ourselves when we travel, things of that nature. I think this is very much the same in the interest rate environment that we're in. And so that's kind of my perspective on that, man. It's 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 not gonna go back to what it was in my opinion, but it, it will drop lower in the future, but we still got time for it to go up. Okay, let's go over to uh, Leon. Yes. That's it. <laughs> yes, they will go back down. That's the, I mean, that's, we talked about this earlier, the ability to pivot. Yes, they will go back down. Will they go back down to, where we were all refinancing in the twos uh, just a few years ago, probably not immediately, but will it five, 10 years from now? Yes, the answer is. But think about this. When Eric Brewer bought his first house in 1982, you know what his interest rate for that house was? Three bedroom, one bath bungalow that he bought there in York, Pennsylvania. <laughs> one and a half. It was half 18%. His interest rate was 18%. So this That's is- That's what yours you know, is now. <laughs> we can make money five, six percent, seven percent. You can still make money with that interest rate. So the answer is yes, they won't go down. Okay, uh, Steve Trank. Uh, so everything I've read is the interest rates are gonna go down next year. I don't know why they're waiting until next year, but you know what I'm seeing is uh, the, not the overwhelming consensus, but a lot of people think that interest rates are gonna go down maybe you know uh, mid-force next year. Me personally, being the skeptic, 
that I am. I, I believe interest rates will go down prior to the election. Like they need some good things to happen, you know, for power reasons in Chris's neck of the woods. So I think interest rates might go down a little sooner to affect uh, the housing situation because this housing situation got pretty screwed pretty fast, right? So I think they need to clean that up a little bit or people are going to be voting with pitchforks. And so I personally believe it could even go down prior to November, but we'll see. Okay. And uh, Eric Brewer, bring us home. Two two responses. One, um, I had the opportunity at Collective Genius to hear a gentleman by the name of Bruce Norris speak who studies interest rates and all different type of uh, economic indicators. And he simply said rates move in conjunction directly with inflation and one or two other things. Right. We saw rates go up as an attempt to control inflation. Rates will come down when inflation they feel is under control. The second thing is, who cares? I, I like for, I think there's there's way too much emphasis put on interest rates and our ability to be able to buy real estate or invest in real estate. It really doesn't matter. It's noise. It, it, it just it just it does not it, just buy the house at a lower price to offset the increase in rate. You know what I did with rentals because I sell a lot of turnkeys. The rates went up. So did the rent. Cap rates stayed the same, baby. Rates go up, rents go up. So you just have to, you got to, you know, you got to find the money from somewhere and it's always there to be found. Okay. The voting is now open and the floor is open as well. When did this, to your point, Eric, when did interest rates become, and it's a good question to ask because it's something that in our industry, especially is just, I think there's so much emphasis put on it today. The light has shined on it so bright. When did that change? I don't know, but I can tell you. I, what, I think what it's it when does. the the we started seeing these historic lows in rates. It Go gives ahead, you Go. the ability. It goes back to what we talked about with wholesale and whether you're skilled or not. Like there, there's there's always this cyclical nature of what a seller expects, what a buyer expects, and what the investor that connects the two is able to put together. And there's often times where you could buy a property, not have it be you know a really good deal, but because the, the 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 government you know had an, an incentivized interest rate so much people were able to buy real estate and and hold on to it where they weren't able to do so before because the balance of rate and price did not create the opportunity so i think that created a lot of opportunity for people and when those rates went up it shut off that opportunity but that's not that's not a true investor mm-hmm. That's a that's a speculative person that's that's buying based on one set of circumstances. That's not an investor. Yeah, I think the interest rates become relevant, Leon, only when there's the the deltas, right? Like if we go from three percent to six percent, like that's a massive difference. But if it stays six sure. percent for the next six years, we don't care. So I think really it's just a delta. Like if it goes up a lot, we've got to uh, in a short period of time, we got to make adjustments. If it goes down, we got to make other adjustments. I mean. One of the really cool things was, uh, you know, like Frank Cava was like banging the, the drum on like, do your cash out refi, do your cash out refi, refi everything, right? Mm-hmm. Because interest rates were historic lows, right? So you make decisions based off what's going on, but it's really the delta that we that we feel we feel like. I think a lot of people that were uh, disenfranchised as far as buying, uh, you know, in June and July because how much interest rates jumped up, like for them, there was a new reality and it sucks. But if you're looking to buy a house right now, you don't have an old reality compared to you. So like, yeah, six percent. This sucks, but this is what it costs to buy a house. It's yeah, the delta. To my point, when Eric when Eric brought that crib in eighty two, you know, eighteen percent, eighteen percent was a great rate. <laughs> strike two. Shout out to he's, eighty two man. Two I heard strikes. It was a, I heard I'm it was telling a you right deal. now, what, you what, keep poking the, the time, bear. I heard it was Steve a... knows what happens when you poke the bear. <laughs> <laughs> Like interest, interest rate is going to go up. <laughs> well, the voting right. is, uh, it, there's actually currently a tie, so we're going to wait for a few minutes to uh, <clears throat> see if we can break this tie. If not, uh, I guess I'm faced with a harsh decision to make. Do we go 3-0 people, for people CJ are, or do we get really, on the board? What was that? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I just, I, to, Leon's question, to Leon's question about when did interest rates become like this thing, I just think it's when we saw such a dip in rates. I mean, when they got historically that low, uh, look, if you didn't do business at the time, if you didn't buy a house at the time, I mean, I, I think you personally definitely made a mistake.
you guys shut so, CJ did, off? Oh, okay, I was wondering if that was on our end. Don't say anything. <laughs> you guys muted CJ. Yeah, that's cold. That, that's good. why you don't speak about uh, the government on YouTube. That's what happens. <laughs> you you CJ. got it. Everything's fine. <laughs> There's a three-way tie right now, guys. So I'm gonna keep it up for another minute or two and see if we can. Listen, break I'm it. gonna tell you something. From now on, this is a tip for Steve. I just read this book called Persuasion by a super smart guy. He said anything too stupid to be spoken should be sang. So, Steve, for the rest of the show, you should sing Singer. your answers. <laughs> How do you say that guy's last name, the guy that wrote the book? Chialdi. <laughs> that was a really solid effort. We had a um, we had a comment <laughs> that said... Uh, what is from- it? Cialdini. All right, whatever, dude. <laughs> it was close. It was very close. Chowder. I heard you ever say chowder. We had a quick comment <laughs> I wanted chowder. to address from, uh, New, from New Kirk England. Jones, so. Chowder. Go ahead. Yeah, we good. All right. Uh, Kurt Jones said, it might not see 3% of my lifetime. Will it ever go down that low? Seems like it goes up to seven, then down to five. Is that down or normal? Just quickly touch on that. Uh, normal. That's normal. Historically, historically, rates of 5% are very appealing. Again, I think we're just talking about what, what Steve called the delta, is that the, what we're paying attention to right now is the difference between what it was most recently and what it is now. But historically... A 5% interest rate is really good. Yeah, okay. and I mean, I, I saw uh, a presentation, uh, Jeremy Jeremy Heath, and he talks about like how interest rates are low and they're going to stay low for a long period of time because that's the only way to keep propping up our economy. So I think it could just be like between 3 and 6% for the rest of our lives because there's, no there's no other levers that our government can use. Okay, all right. Uh, three-way tie at 30% of the votes. That's something that's never happened before. So I think what I feel is the right thing to do uh, to break up this three-way tie between CJ Brewer and Steve. I'm going to give the points to Leon because that's my guy. Now, now we're talking. Now Leon's we're talking on the board with a point. I got you. I told you I was going to get you last week. So this is my get back look, for you, Steve. Sir. Look, Steve. I'm there you go. Today, even, if, e- even if I don't win, I'm still a winner. See that? I'm still a winner. Did go. you buy that for yourself? My, come on, man! <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. My kids, my kids said I'm a winner regardless, so I'm I'm good with that. Here we go. God bless them. So yep. innocent. Yep. <laughs> All right. They've been talking to Uncle Brewer too much. That's the problem. I'll get them squared away. <laughs> uh, we're on to round number four, but just a quick reminder before we go to the fourth question. Uh, today's show we want to shout out our sponsor it is sponsored by nobody so thank you so much for that sponsorship we're working on that it's going to happen soon they are uh rumors right now that it's going to include a uh, bonus for the host so you know we're pulling for that we're hoping that it's going to happen soon uh and with that being said let's go on to question number four we'll start with leon would you rather hire a coach or join a mastermind first so this is something that I actually deal with on a daily basis. So in our community, the collective genius, we're a community that is for full-time investors that have uh, been in the business generally uh, at minimum two years, have shown the ability to do a minimum of 25 transactions on an annual basis. So basically two or three deals a month. And those that are right on that cusp, the conversation that I'm having with them quite often is, are they ready for a community or do they need further individual coaching? And generally, generally that individual needs a, a, a coach more so than they, they need a community for where they are, if they're, especially if they've only been in the business for a year. But I will say it's got to be the right coach. Guys like CJ that are on this call, that coach, that they help people in their business. A community is something that you're going to need. Most need coach Thank you for that double double <laughs> banger on the on the buzzer. Had to, had to. I'm sorry. With the good comes the bad. <laughs> uh, let's go over to uh, Steve. I think uh, it doesn't have to be uh, necessarily. I think paid, right? So I think you can start off with a little mastermind mm-hmm. in your community. There's one that's run by Brandon Simmons in our market, the Go Giver, where it's you know where. Brent Daniels, Pace, Jamil, Carlos, Reyes, a bunch of us, we all were masterminded together. It was free, right? I think that's uh, a good place to start. You know, squad up is something you've uh, heard 
uh, those other guys say. I think you can start there with a free mastermind within your community as you're getting started. As far as uh, if I was writing a check, I would start off with a coach who actually has done what I want to do and then evolve eventually into a mastermind. And the reason why is that in mastermind, there are a lot of successful people that have all these different techniques, tactics, and strategies, and you will overwhelm yourself trying to do all those things versus having one direct track to start off to build a solid foundation first. All right, let's jump over to Eric Brewer. Yeah, I th man, I... I was hoping maybe I could go last to have more time to decide which of these two, because I think you really ought to have both. But I, I would imagine if you're forced to pick, I think for the first time ever, I agree a little bit with what Steve said, that the the value of the mastermind is that there there's literally 100 coaches, right? Each mm -hmm. of which have their specialty. And the problem a lot of times with an undisciplined person with undisciplined thought and undisciplined action is inside a mastermind, they actually go backwards. That's why when we go to CG, we, we actually force discipline. We talk about it. We preach focus. But I think you should go the coach route to work on that particular phase of your business or the one thing that you struggle with. And then once you have a small team, go to a mastermind where someone can help you implement the things that you learn there. All right. And uh, last but not least, CJ. Yep. CJ, the mic's still not working. I agree. Yep. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> yes. Mike, Wrap up the so voting. Good. Yep. <laughs> if he wins this yeah. vote, I will I will flip this. You got to unmute yourself. Right now you're unmuted. No, so I, know. Go, Chris. I see, I see what mic. it is. I see. There you go. There we go. I'll restart your time. Yeah, you're good. I see. No, it's cool. I see what's happening. I, I see Steve moving the mouse over behind the cup, uh, <laughs> constantly muting me. Uh, so I understand. I understand. Um, no, look, like they say, the late great Patrice O'Neill, one of the greatest comedians of all time. All right. He talked about how he needed to lose weight. His doctor said, hey, if you don't lose weight, you're going to die. All right. And he said that wasn't motivation enough. Those are That's masterminding. That's going to conferences and just going to a mastermind. You go to these things, you get all this motivation, you get all this information, and you go home and you have no accountability. You have nobody standing over you on a daily basis, contacting you on a daily basis, giving you accountability to move forward. So I think you need coaching first, shout out to the U. And I think you also need community and mastermind, also shout out to the U because we offer both. Tap in with us, you know the vibes, all right? We found a new sponsor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'll be reaching out to you for the invoice. <laughs> The voting is open <laughs> and the floor is open, guys. So. <laughs> um, when you get to a point where you're doing consistently two to three deals, come see us. But until then, especially the question was, what should you have first? You need both, but what should you have first? You ultimately, you need somebody, you need that accountability. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's the number one detriment uh, for People that come into our community, if they're not ready for it, they, they see too many shiny objects and, and it's a detriment to their business. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, th there was someone that had complained, like we have too many sports analogies, you know, uh, on our, on this show. But the reality is, of course, if you look at sports, right, you got to get the fundamentals right first. You got to have the proper foundation. And once you've got the proper foundation, then you can add additional stuff, you know, like uh, I'll, I'll say poker, you know. When I play poker, I see a lot of people playing fundamentally unsound poker. And it's cool, it's fun, and you can do that once you have a proper foundation. But so many people skip straight to the fun part and, and right. skip the, the foundation part of doing everything correctly. And that's why I think the coach can, with the right coach, you can lay a proper foundation and then you can do the mastermind later on. Okay. Walk into any gym of youth basketball and you'll see every 10-year-old taking shots from half court. Why is that? Because they see the analogy of Steph Curry is the community, is the, is the mastermind. Instead, they should be working on the left-hand layup, the right-hand layup, the fundamentals of, of the business. So let's get that coach first. Yeah, take notes, Eric. Listen take notes, Eric. Steve. Yeah, listen What's closely, Steve. Steve. Steve needs to work on his right-hand layups. <laughs> I missed one bunny last time. <laughs> he, he still goes off the wrong foot. It's like it's the most awkward thing. In it the was world. a Euro step. 
Oh, he's that guy on the court, Eric. Oh, <laughs> it's not pretty. It's, Thank uh, you, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad to have my friends here. Oh, I'll get. You got a great set shot. They are, but, man. You get the moving. It's not pretty. <laughs> Euro step or Asian American step, Steve? Is it the right the right hand layup <laughs> off the right foot? There you go, Asian American step. <laughs> Uh, yeah. the, the voting is open. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Looks like we have a, a landslide oh, in progress yeah. right now, but we'll keep it up for another minute. Any last second points you guys would like to make or feel like we touched on everything? Nah, we should just just keep it open, man. Where, so the where do we invoice Chris? <laughs> what's your best what's your best email? <laughs> hey man, I got I gotta say, man, um, and I don't know who wins this round other than myself, but it's good to see you guys again. Uh, I mean, I think these are all great points in all in all reality. Um, I, again, I just really stress the importance to the fact I think that you need both. I think there's great information at Masterminds, but don't get overwhelmed with the information and think we've got to go back and try to do five different strategies. Sometimes you got to go deeper into what's working for you or what has been working before you try to go wide. Right. Okay. All right. With that, the uh, the voting has closed. Uh, CJ won with 50%. So that's, that's win number three for him on the day. He's back. He's back and he's determined. Came back strong. We still came back strong, man. Came back strong. Flex. Uh, just a reminder for everyone. The last question that we do ask is an audience submitted question. So everyone in the chat that's watching right now, please drop your questions. Uh, we do have one more question that we are going to ask. And then the last question will be from the audience. So go ahead and start dropping questions that you'd like the panel to discuss for our last segment. And with that, we'll move on to uh, question number five. So start with CJ again. Would you rather have a big marketing budget and a bad sales team or a small marketing budget with a great sales team? Yeah, look, man, I'm a, I'm a sniper, man. Uh, I'm not I'm not a first infantry shotgun blast guy. I'm going to take the smaller team or the smaller budget with a really great team. I think that there's a lie that's been told in real estate wholesaling over the years that you have to have this huge team with 20, 30 people call in and 20, 30 sales reps to really make money in this business. And you just don't. I think you can build a small core effective team of three to four sales reps. And I think you can go out here and make a ton of money in the business. So, yeah, I'm going to take the smaller team, uh, the greater team and smaller list, 110 percent. OK, uh, Steve Trang, your thoughts. Uh, so. When I was learning this business uh, many, many years ago, I learned a lot from Dan Kennedy, who's, who's a genius of copywriting, right? He talks about marketing. And he says the best way to win, to defeat your competition, is to be able to market them. You know, the, uh, the more you can spend on marketing uh, profitably against your competition, you can remove your competition by just out-marketing them. So for me, I would say the ability to outspend your, uh, your competition in marketing I'm a big fan of sales as well, but if you can outspend your competition profitably, I would do that because you can naturally eliminate uh, your competition. So that's the direction I would go. Okay. All right. Uh, Leon G. Barnes. You know how hard it is to have a great sales team? And that is, th there are not a lot of companies that have a great sales team. And a lot of people that are watching this they don't have the budget to spend big money on marketing. So if I'm going to laser focus on anything, I want a great sales team first because that great sales team is ultimately going to get me to a point where I can start affording to spend more money on marketing and then have ground cover for my troops to go back to CJ's analogy on sniping, right? The, the marketing is ground cover for great troops. It takes all the obstacles out of their way. It over, helps them overcome objections, but they're already great at it, right? So I'm taking the great sales team all day, every day, twice on Sunday. Right. And Eric Brewer. None of y'all know what you're talking about. <laughs> Let me drop some knowledge for you. <laughs> Listen, I read a book by Gary Keller. He said a long time ago, by the way, he knows more about either of these topics than both of us, any of us on, the, on this call. He said, no matter what business they're in, you have to be a marketer first. You can have the best sales team in the world. And if you have no leads, you have no business, which means you'll have no sales staff. So unless we're going to cross over and say we're going to turn them into outbound prospectors, which you could do, but that's not the way I understood the question. I'd rather have a huge marketing budget 
And to Leon's point, at some point, I'm going to get enough sales that I can fire the bad salespeople and have the big budget and the great sales team. So if I had to choose, which I don't think you should, you should be able to do a little bit of both. I'm going to go big marketing budget. I'm going to troll and just find a couple of the low hanging fruit deals that are out there. And then I'm going to slowly start to build my sales team. All right. The voting is now open and the floor is open as well. So I'll talk a little bit about, so, oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say why you were wrong. Um, and Eric, but. And Gary Keller, like, by look, the way. We've we'll all had students <laughs> people that are wrong. He quoted a genius. I quoted Gary Keller. And then add, all right, Chris has something to say. Let's, let's add Gary in. Chat. And Dan let's Kennedy. Go ahead. Fair enough. Tag him. I'm a huge Dan Kennedy fan, but look. We've all seen the, the students that are the people who come into real estate, whether it's just student, whoever, they've got the big budget. They've got the nice size W-2. They've got the nice size credit card. And they come into the business and they say, oh, Chris, my budget's big, man. I can spend 5000 a month. I can spend X amount of dollars a month. But they're the bad sales team. And we've all seen these people come into the business and not have great success because they lack the understanding of sales. To discount the fact that sales is critically important to what we're doing I think is, you know, I don't think that's fair. I think no matter how big your list is or your budget is, if you can't close, you're not going to make that much money to be able to cover the cost of that marketing in the first place. So Chris, let me, the reason why I say uh, marketing first and then sales, like I'm a sales trainer, right? Obviously I'm very passionate about sales, but unfortunately in the early part of my career, I was really bad at sales. I was horrendous at sales. And the reason why I was successful was because I could market effectively. So marketing covered up a lot of the bad sales skills until we got to a point where now we're focusing on sales and marketing is still important, but not as critical uh, to our business. So I'm going to go back to what Eric said about Gary Keller, because as someone, and I think Eric has a, uh, a Keller Williams team as well, but I have a small Keller Williams team. And I can tell you at being in that downline, I can tell you this, that Gary may say that, but what's their number one way of getting listings and getting business? It's not marketing. It's sphere of influence. Which is marketing. So even that's marketing bonehead. That, that, but that, that's not in a traditional sense of television. Not it's within a budget. Direct mail. Not within a budget. This it's your says time. There's big three, marketing there's three budget. forms of currency. There's the revenue. Question was there's big marketing budget. And there's focus. Y'all are operating at a JV level. Chris said a big marketing budget is five grand. So like, <laughs> let's be honest. Like that's not, that's not a big budget. That, that's not big enough to offset a big bad sales team. And that aspect, I would tell you you're right. correct. Right. But we're talking about it's all relative. If someone spends $50,000 a month, they can get four deals out of that. That, that would be a horrific sales job to do that. Right but they're still going to make double their money. I, I, I just, again, sphere of influence, you're crossing the line where that's, that's a prospecting marketing activity performed potentially by a salesperson, but it's a marketing activity. It is not because marketing is sales. If you think about it, right. Marketing's sure. job is to sell the client to contact you about the prospect of consuming your, your product. But it's still, I would say, seventy percent marketing, thirty percent sales. So let me uh, let me to this specific. Hold on, I got to get this into this to counterpoint. This is that sphere of influence uh... is not a big marketing <laughs> budget. It's not the question. I think you'd be surprised. So, some some operators I know spend quite a bit of money for for the sphere, right? Uh, on on the realtor side, they spend quite a bit of time, money, and resources towards that. But let me ask you this: I'm going to put Leon in the spot here, if you feel comfortable with this. Right. Absolutely. The top operators in collective genius. Great marketing budgets or great sales team? Oh, absolutely. Great marketing budgets for sure. They're outspending their competition in every single market, but they the rest have my to case. get there. They didn't they didn't start there. The, you Yeah, what about you, the people start now? They didn't start there. The difference who, between who start now? Level, who start now with it? Listen, they they that listen, wasn't the question. Anybody on this call starting out? They asked us what we would rather have. So which of us four are just starting out? <laughs> Do you got, we're, we're answering the question from our perspective. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right? Yeah. 
So I, I get I, again. I think it, it, it's it, you can. The, the, I'm the answering answer it from is, the perspective of what I see, and and that makes sense um, because of in that situation you might have like some people just can't spend the money on a marketing budget. And you have no choice but to be great at sales, right? You can spend time. In most people's cases, they have an unlimited amount of time. They don't have an unlimited amount of money. But the way that the, the context that the question was asked is if you could do either, which would you do, right? I can tell you if you want to be lazy, you can spend marketing works when you don't. Sales does not. So if you want to have a more passive form of income, it's a big marketing budget and an average sales team. Um, so so, so uh, to, again, to make sure that we're covering that base for everybody, Eric, if you were talking to someone that is newer in this business, how would you answer it from that perspective? They can't afford either. Like they're bad at sales and they don't have money to market. So what they're probably going to do is prospect, which is marketing. Where does everybody start? Cold calling. Why? Because it's cheap. What is Cheap. it? Prospecting. Right. Case closed. Close the voting. Wrap it up, Wheeze. <laughs> Give me my trophy, Wheeze. I'm going to pass all of CJ's voting. <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree. You had some great answers across the board, Brewer. I, I personally would have voted for you. Unfortunately, the voters did not. Uh, 42% so far to CJ. So I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is another round for CJ. Uh, I do want to thank the chat. We have some great questions. Uh, CT, CRTL, Super Fresh D1. Uh, we are actually going to use those questions for our show next week. So thank you for submitting those. The question that we have gone with, it looks like, was submitted from uh, Cheryl Invest. And that question is going to be, is fixing and flipping houses worth the headache as a long-term investment strategy? So we're going uh, to go backwards on this one. We'll start uh, last round, bottom to top. Leon, what do you think about uh, fixing and flipping houses and it being worth the headache as a long-term investment? Well, I, I assume that they're fixing and flipping and uh, burying that house and holding that property as a long-term wealth building strategy. Let's assume that's what the question is. Is it worth the headache? It is worth the headache if, you, if you're in this full-time and you have an active cash uh, strategy, whether that's wholesaling or something to bring cash to fuel the fire of your business, then absolutely it is a great thing. It's worth the headache. But it's not worth the headache if you don't know what you're doing. You don't have processes and systems set up uh, to be able to do that. A lot of people get into this business and struggle uh, with contractor relationships and ultimately leave this because it's, it is not easy to do. But if you're fixing and flipping and turning it into a long-term rental, yeah, it can be worth the headache. Okay. Uh, Eric Brewer. Yeah, I would say um, generally the language of fix and flip would indicate that you're buying and selling it. Um, there's not really anything long term about that other than it'll take a long time for you to build wealth. Um, I think Leon accidentally gave some great advice. And, and the reality would be is in order to create <laughs> equity, um, you should learn how to renovate and refinance and repeat. I think the Burr model is a great way to build wealth. Fixing and flipping is a great way to build income, um, but fixing and flipping as a long-term strategy just means that you're doing it for a long time. That, that, that to me is not really a strategy. It's just the way that you happen to execute on opportunities. So I think the, the real question here is, should I learn construction? I would say absolutely. Regardless of how you're going to apply that, that is a very, very powerful skill set to have, and you should definitely learn construction. Okay, Steve Trang. Um, I think Leon was very kind in, in clarifying the question, but you know, for everyone else, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Uh, fixing and flipping is generally an active income. So I think a lot of people that are wholesaling and flipping believe they're real estate investors. And reality is uh, you guys are, it's active income. You're trading time for money or time and resources for money so that you can take that money to invest it elsewhere. Right? So uh, I would say if you're going to do fix and flip, I think that's a great strategy. If you're in, if you're passionate about fixing and flipping, if you're 
interested, if you, if you love interior design, if you love dealing with contractors. I personally suck in interior design and hate dealing with contractors. So our preferred strategy for active income is to wholesale and take that to put it somewhere else to invest and grow. So I just want to make sure we're not confusing wholesaling and, and fixing and flipping for investing because that's not investing as active income. Okay. And CJ, bring us home. Yeah, I've, I've fixed and flipped a whole lot of houses, man, so I think I can give some good perspective on this. Cheryl's also a student, so she should know my answer on this already. Uh, the answer is no. Uh, and it's it's actually quite simple. You're not going to build wealth fixing and flipping houses. It's, it's fascinating sometimes to me the perspective people had that I once had when I got into this business about how sexy and glorifying it is to fix and flip a house. You know, HGTV, you know, all this stuff we see, zombie house flippers with RJ, you know, whatever it is, people have this thought that fixing and flipping houses is going to make you a lot of money or carry you to wealth. It's only for one thing. It's only to create active income to put into other investments. If you're already wholesaling and you've created a dynamic to create cash from wholesaling, you should have not create interest for yourself in fixing and flipping. You're going to end up somewhere complex and somewhere you don't want to be. And you're going to get very far away from your goals long term. Yeah. And I think that's the reason why people get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Like, hey, I'm an investor. I'm going to fix and flip. And because I'm not making the kind of money I want to make, I need to do more. I need to go bigger. Right. Mm -hmm. And the question is, like, are you doing this because you want to generate more passive wealth or create more wealth? Or are you doing this because you want to fix and flip more houses? Because generally speaking, right, every business, as you grow and scale, the profitability goes down, but the time and effort increases. So just something to consider when you're trying to do fix and flip for, for wealth. Steve just dropped some game right there. I mean, when you start doing skip, I've done fix and flip at scale, you know, 20, 30 active projects at a time. When you've got to have site superintendents, when you've got to have project managers, when you've got to have uh, construction material buyers and stuff like that on your team, your margin starts to thin out and quickly gets down to if you're really good at what you're doing, like eight to 10%. That's not going to build you any sort of wealth. And I'm telling you as somebody who used to do a lot of it, I've encouraged all of my folks that are students to stop getting so obsessed with the thought of fixing and flipping a house. It won't get you to where you want to go. I promise you that. If you know how to make money other ways, faster with less headache, you should utilize that. And if you don't, then you should consider using fixing and flipping to do that. So if you want a strategy of how to use fix and flip as wealth building and also have active income, I personally do this myself. I do about three deals a month of those three in a mark to read to be active one every single month so we're adding anywhere between 12 to 20 rental properties from those single family flips so i have active as well as wealth building it's an easy strategy but again what to cj's point i've got nine years of experience flipping houses with contractors that i trust and that built over those relationships over time if you're just looking for active income, Steve's answer of wholesaling is the best way to go. Here's something I one think more, we're one not more thing, if you don't mind, real right. quick is, is is there's not everybody is a good marketing or a salesperson. I've seen plenty of our customers that are great at construction that are so fortunate that I bring them deals and they knock out a thirty thousand dollar rehab for fifteen thousand dollars that would take me five weeks and they do it in two. So I think what you got to identify is what is your skill set? If you're great at construction, you should be doing fix and flipping, not wholesale, because you will probably suck at wholesale. If you're really good at sales, you're going to struggle at construction. The only thing that I would say to push back a little bit on, on Chris's point is I think, and, and, and Chris probably flipped most of his houses back when he had to, because but it, it was difficult to create enough equity in a wholesale deal because anytime from 2008 to 2012 or 13, there was not a lot of cash buyers out there. When you bought a house, you had to renovate it to create equity. So there, there's the possibility that if we don't acquire that skill set and we're really good at generating leads and getting deals, but there's no buyers out there, which we haven't seen for a long time, I understand. But I like the fact of acquiring construction as a skill set because we raise the barrier of entry for our competition, right? Um, people can develop sales skills in a year. It takes a decade to develop construction skills. 
So I, I agree with Chris to the fact that don't jump both feet in and try and become a GC contractor, HGTV floor planner, knocking out beams and walls and all that stuff. But you should slowly maybe one out of every 10 deals you do flip that sucker and see if you can't pick up some valuable skills. Okay. Yeah. Real, real quick on yeah. that, man. Cause Eric is spot on with what he just said with that. So I still fix and flip, but I'm not going to Lowe's. I'm not going to a job site. I'm not arguing back and forth with the contractor anymore. Like Eric said, I did that when I had to, but how I now utilize the business. I just look at it as a house as a security shout out to Blackstone. So what I'm doing is I'm just going and JVing with somebody who wants to be that. Somebody that was me 2008 to 2013, they're in that position. They need to get their active income straight. They're good at construction. I'm going to JV with that person and create a joint venture opportunity. I'll bring in the deal. I'll bring in the financing. You can run around and get the deal done, and I'll give you a portion of the profit. So that's how I like to fix and flip now versus what we did before, which is what we did before actively as an operator is what most people want to do when they hear fixing and flipping, which I just think is, is, is a sticky place to get. Can I, I say one last thing about construction? Cause this is important. At the collective genius, we have, you know, 194 members, the top real estate investors in the United States. Even in that group, we have a monthly construction call for a reason. It's led by people that know how to do it at a super high level and others that are in the group that are the highest level investors in the United States they still need help with it. So it is not as easy as HGTV makes it look. And so if you're going to go that route, just make sure that you understand it's not easy. All right. That was a great round too. Great, great set of questions this entire, uh, this entire program. And then you guys actually gave us a lot of insightful information. So as always, we appreciate you. There is still a few seconds left on the voting. Uh, it looks no, like we're not. a close race. It's like we're out of time. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah, you should want it to be closed right now for sure. For sure. Um, while we close out the voting, uh, one more time, I'd just like to remind everyone that part of the disruption has its official clip channel that you can go ahead and follow. Uh, rewatch all of these debates, rewatch all of these, uh, on the, on the current program and then all the previous programs as well. They're all up there. Um, free game, free game, everybody. Soak it up. Looks like the voting has closed and Steve Trang finally gets on the board as he edges out CJ. 43%. There you go, boss, man. You're on the board. It's not really about me winning the round, though. It's the fact that Eric got zero points. That's really all that matters Oof. today. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional, damn it. <laughs> that Why do you save that one for when you win the round? <laughs> Listen, there's that a whole bunch of strategic product placement right there. <laughs> there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. I keep them hidden from you guys. I don't want to do that to you guys quite yet. Uh, that like does it. conclude this week's episode of Part of the Disruption. I do want to go virtual left to right and give everyone a chance to sign off. Uh, let's start off with Steve. So thank you everyone for watching. You know, I, I think that today's content, today's material was so spot on, so timely, so relevant. And I think that I would really love for more people uh, to, to watch this, right? Because I think these are, we got the right people with the right experience sharing their wisdom. So if you guys are, are getting value, share this, tell your friends about this, right? I think that there's so much game that's being dropped here that you wouldn't hear unless you were in a different mastermind with the rest of us, right? These are the kinds of conversations we have at the bar. These are the kinds of conversations we're having after basketball together, right? Like, I think that people that, if you're getting value, please share, share this with your friend. I think there's a lot of valuable content here. For sure, for sure. Uh, let's go over to Leon G. Barnes. So Leon Barnes with the Collective Genius, we were talking about communities earlier and coaching. You know, when you're when you have grown your business to a point where you need a community, we are the community for high-level real estate investors. You know, shout at me, and when you get to that point, um, I will say that everybody on this um, on this uh, Zoom today or this uh, podcast today, I can tell you that um, this is all great knowledge there's different perspectives here all of us have different times uh in this business and uh there's no wrong answers honestly there's just you know other than a few that steve gave you uh <laughs> and a few maybe of eric's as well i did find out a true stat today something really cool that eric doesn't wear a helmet when he bikes so that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty interesting <laughs> that he doesn't wear a helmet 
We'll leave it there. Do you wear one when you run? This is really important to protect. I don't is trip and no? fall when I run. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Look at your that, hand. But... You failed today, so you need to wear a helmet. I don't fall when I, I run. <laughs> the helmet wouldn't have helped my hand. <laughs> the gloves is what we're really talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of wrong answers, you said wear a helmet so you don't hurt your protective hand. Protective wear. Protective wear. Yeah. Now, that was evidence of your fall. Oh, all right. Well, Brewer, would you like to uh, sign off and give everyone some safety tips? Yeah, I would say, man, you know, this is a tricky time in real estate. There's a lot of attention around it. Uh, there's a ton of people that have curiosity. They go out and they seek information and they struggle to get started. I think what's really cool about the group of people that we get together on here whether it's CJ, RJ, LG, or ST, or EB, whatever it is. I feel stupid because I don't have a two-letter <laughs> nickname. But you, th this, is a, this is an amazing opportunity to hear stuff from people without any agenda. Like, typically when you're listening to these things, someone's trying to sell mm -hmm. you something, pitch you something, or point you in the direction for their, their, their own personal benefit. What I love about doing this is we're challenged. I mean, there's dialogue that happens all week about what we're going to talk about, right? We're putting a lot of thought into uh, what we can discuss on this show that will help people that are seeking some type of guidance or assurance that they're doing the right thing. And uh, I would just encourage you, the, the, you know, what the, like Steve said, to, to consume it, share it, do something with it. Uh, one of the, the, the best parts about me being a mastermind was not what I got out of it, but the opportunity to give. There's a friend and a mentor of mine, Larry Yatch, that's a retired Navy SEAL, just a general badass. He works with a few people on this call. And he says, when you give people the opportunity to help you, helping other humans is like crack to people. So, you know, what we're doing here, the reason we're doing this is because we all love helping people. That's why we're in real estate. That's why we're in sales. When you boil it down to sales, it's helping people. Just tap into this community, man. Watch this, listen to it, share it. And you giving it to someone else, the universe will give it back to you 10 times in return. Nice, nice. Shout out to Larry Atch. And uh, Brewer, you go enjoy yourself this weekend. Let's go ahead and conclude with CJ. Yeah, I mean, to the victor comes the spoils, man. I'm not going to take... You know, too much time because, you know, shout out to my guy, EB. All right, my guy, EB, you know, he summed it up uh, pretty well there and, and, and summarized it great. Uh, Steve as well. I mean, look, these are really the bar conversations. These are the conversations that high-level masterminds and guys are just sitting around, you know, having, hey, what's your thoughts on the market? What are you thinking right now about rates? You know, what are you thinking about construction right now and doing fix and flip? So to be able to get this for free on on a YouTube and just see these types of conversations, I think is really impactful. So definitely share it. Definitely let people know about it as well. And I'll be back to win again next week, man. You know, the vibes has been a good time. There we go. Much love. Side we go. note, <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers acquired Donovan. Listen, I, I was hoping that you weren't going to bring that up. I was hoping nobody brought that up. I'm a Knicks fan. You just cut me deep. It's time to end the program. I'm going to go cry. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. I really <laughs> This was the best wow. episode, in my opinion. And then you just came and, and crapped all over it. So up. thanks. Thanks for that. That's what you get for being a Knicks fan. Y'all are some dirty people. Go, bad go. Fans, wow. Bad team. <laughs> at, M -M MSG is a nasty, dirty place. At least we There's wear helmets, history, all right? But the, the ship, you should wear helmets at the Madison Square Garden. Wear, wear helmets, gloves, potentially that bubbles way, if we that need That way it. you don't hurt your hand. Wear helmets to keep your hands safe. Uh, we may or may not see Eric Brewer back next week, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Part in the Disruption. I'm your host, Lisa. 